Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. I'm your host, Al D. This is a show designed for aspiring current and former MBAs looking for advice on how you can grow your career through an MBA degree. During each episode, I'll talk to MBA students, graduates, and leaders about the MBA experience, navigating the workplace, and career development so you can learn how to develop and achieve your own version of career success through an MBA and beyond. Welcome to the MBA Insider Podcast. My name is Al D. I'm the host of the MBA Insider Podcast. Today's guest is Lindsay Sage. Lindsay is the owner of Sage Admit, an MBA admissions consulting firm, and I believe to this date is the only three-time guest on the MBA Insider Podcast. It's so great to have Lindsay back. We're going to be talking about MBA admissions and kicking off the 2023-2024 MBA admissions cycle. I always love chatting with Lindsay. It's been so fun to get to know her over the past couple of years. So Lindsay, welcome back. It's great to have you here. Uh, we actually need to record a podcast now. We can't just talk, which is what we've been doing for the past 15 minutes. But <laughs> I do want to give the warm-up question because I always give our guests a warm-up question. So Lindsay, I know you've had a fun summer. So talk to me a little bit about what's what's been a good book or TV show or a, that you've read or that you've watched recently. I can't believe I've been on here. I'm the only three-time award nominee. This is incredible. Yes. <laughs> I'm so excited. I love this. And I love what you do, Al. And I'm so excited to be here. Okay. What have I watched recently? You know, the show, is it cake? Mm, yes. This is where yes. they make these crazy things and you have to decide if this shoe or if this suitcase is cake or if it's a real thing. And this is, I've got a seven-year-old, so she gets really into this. We watch it as like the, the show you watch with the family at night and you're like, oh, surprised. It's so cute. And the season two just came out. So we've been all over it. Yep. And folks, that's on Netflix if you're looking for something to watch. So feel free to look it up and maybe even go buy a cake when you're done. And we did not okay. get a compensation back from Netflix for this. No, no promo none, there. None. No, <laughs> I'm, I'm just trying to look out for our listeners to give some, them, them something to something to watch. <laughs> Okay. So I know we could talk about cake, but we're here to talk about the 2023-2024 yes. NBA application season. Before we do that, I do want to unpack a little bit of what happened at the end of the last NBA admission season based off of what you saw, who you talked to, what were some of the key insights or kind of takeaways from the, the last cycle? Okay. The first thing is that volume really did decrease quite a bit for the domestic pool. So this is something we've heard consistently from the schools that less people were applying to business school. And even at the top schools, apps were down like 10 to 20%. The schools have been pretty open about that. It's mostly been in the domestic market. So on the lower end for sure. And I think we know the reason for that, right? Salaries, if you think about a year ago from today, when you would have had to decide whether you're going to business school, there were a lot of really great offers on the table. Salaries were super high. Hot labor market really does suggest let's keep going around and getting a new job and swapping out a new higher paid job rather than stopping what I'm doing and going back to school. That makes a ton of sense. And certainly also as well, as always, an MBA is an investment and is certainly not necessarily a cheap one. And while many investments pay off over time, it certainly can be a lot to maybe stomach and see that number. And so I can certainly see that. In terms of you, I know you mentioned the domestic piece and that number was down, but anything on the international front, is was that still holding steady? Was it um, going up? Was it also going down, but maybe not going down, maybe not as much as the domestic rate? Yeah, more of a flat line, a little decrease in application volume, but really more 
not as drastic as the U.S. market was. Um, also, one trend that we've heard from schools is that particular areas were coming in really strong. All of a sudden, a huge resurgence in, in African applica applicants, West Africa in particular. And that was exciting for them because schools have always traveled to that area and really tried to increase volume from there. And of course, India, China, always really high volume of applicants, but just having some diversity in the international pool was nice. And I know that this, this show, and I think you most, we focus mostly on the full-time MBA program, but just mm. out of curiosity, any, any insights at all into knowing that in addition to the full-time, there's been certainly there are other accelerated MBAs now, or more of those coming on in terms of uh, a shorter but more intensive programs, certainly the working professional MBA programs. Do you have any insights or any, whether hard or anecdotal data just around some of these other like offshoots in the sense of, okay, maybe the full time is perhaps down, but uh, maybe some of these other programs from a school perspective are maybe increasing, or maybe it's all been the same kind of boat. No, I think we did a whole podcast last year on different programs, right? So maybe you yes. can put that in the notes of this, because I do think if anyone's yes. like shopping around and isn't sure of what programs are available, there's just so much out there. I would say, anecdotally, I saw just a huge amount of people wanting to do things in person. People were just tired of the online and the hybrid. And they said, if I'm going to spend the money and go back to school, I want to do this in person. I think that that was one thing that I saw versus the last two, three years where people were looking for remote or hybrid options. I feel like now people are either don't want to be that digital nomad any longer. They want to really have a space and have a community around them. I can't speak to the volume of other programs, but I can say that schools have continued to pull out different versions of an MBA, whether it be we have a new dual degree program, or we have a new one-year program, or a one-year in management, or a specialized, a specialized business program like master's in finance or master's in analytics. We are consistently over the last five years just seeing so many more of these crop up and come into market. So maybe that's actually one of the reasons that volume has spread out. I don't think that's the main reason, but I'm sure that volume sure. has spread out into some of those programs. Yeah. And maybe another just question talking at the end of last year, any, any insights or any takeaways from the conversations you were having from your, with your clients in terms of what really was around, was, even though the volume was down, um, why, any kind of key takeaways from why they many of them chose to pursue an MBA? Was it something they were always going to do no matter what? Were there things in the economy that really pushed them to do it? Uh, just, yeah, would just be curious just about anything come up or anything interesting that we're, we're sharing. Yeah, uh, I think that, okay, so a couple things. I think a lot of the people that knew they wanted to go, they had always planned on going, right? It was always a dream of theirs. And, but one thing I found is that people that applied were overly choosy. There was a little bit of a trend in in negotiating scholarships for sure. And this is something that schools had seen more and more of. Eight years ago when I worked in admissions, no one was negotiating scholarships. It was like a hard, don't do this, or like our policies, we don't negotiate. But now schools are really entertaining these negotiations. And almost every client I worked with asked every one of their schools, listen, this school gave me this, what can we do, you know, in a very kind, polite way. And the schools had to have been forced into having to negotiate as everyone does this, right? So I thought that was interesting. The other thing that was a little bit, and I'm seeing it more this year than last year, 
but people are getting really choosy about where they live. And I think it's because during the pandemic, we had a lot of optionality. And now it's, oh, I don't really know if I want to live in an urban setting anymore. I don't really know if I want to live in that part of the country or the world. Interesting. Yeah, I could see that. I can definitely see that making sense. And I wouldn't say that things are necessarily returning back to normal, but mm-hmm. as I'm not really sure what normal is anymore. But I think that is the natural, maybe perhaps, evolution of the journey post-COVID or like from COVID to, to where we are now in terms of just the, uh, from a place of at that point in time of everyone needing to be virtual and remote to now, now that people do have more choices of, of course. being more, more intentional about what those choices are. Why would I go work here if I have to go in five days a week and commute? I moved an hour outside the city versus here. I can only have to go in three days of work. So because they're able to negotiate those offers in the work workplace, I think that they carry that into the school application process. So we're recording this in the beginning of August, but there's been a couple, call them headlines or articles or things that I saw over the summer that I thought were interesting, and I would love to get your take on them. And some of these are MBA specific, and some of these are just broader trends that are impacting MBAs, mm-hmm. just like they would impact a lot of other things. Okay, so the first one is about technology and specifically about generative AI and AI and MBA applications for you're listening to this right now, there's a good chance you've probably used generative AI, whether it's ChatGPT or any of these other LMs in some kind of capacity for your work, which also means that in theory, you could also potentially use them in something like, let's say, an MBA application. Is this something that you're seeing at all in terms of uh, what for, uh, clients are coming to you for, or even in discussions you're having with other admissions consultants or MBA admissions professionals? or uh, what in what ways is this showing up in the MBA space? Yeah, so it, in two ways. So the application is absolutely a tool to use, same as you would use someone like me, a coach. You use every tool in your arsenal to put together the best application. Uh, chat isn't going to write; they're not. It's not writing the essay for you, and it's not even pretending to write an essay. And then you use that framework and you go off of it. That's not the point. But it's really good for a brainstorming session. If you're stuck, if you need better ideas, if you want to generate different insights into something why not use it as a tool? I will say that some schools have gone out and if you go into their honor code, which you sign before you submit the application, it's typically on the very last page in the review and sign page. Some schools have said, I have not used AI in any point in this application process. Some schools have said, I have not used generative AI in writing my essays. So you really actually, I do suggest that you go into the honor code because I was a little surprised that some schools said you couldn't use it at all. It's a great brainstorming tool. This is in our lives and we need to embrace this, but you do want to double check that honor code. Some schools also haven't said anything at all about it. So I think it's still a little new and fresh and schools are typically a little slow to sometimes catch on to things. I will say though, Schools are also really talking to faculty and things because AI is also taking place in the classrooms. Professors, as you can imagine, are going to be using it in different ways through group teamwork and MBA courses. Yeah. And on that, the last point, there's a professor at the University of Pennsylvania, Ethan Mollick. If anyone has been following generative AI or AI in particular, he has been one of the leading voices on this. And I believe in a number of his classes, he teaches some classes on entrepreneurship in, instead of running away from AI, his whole thing has just been like, no, I'm going to, yeah, like, you're going to learn how to use it. Yeah. And so he will do things basically like, all right, using generative AI, figure out like how you could quote unquote cheat 
in like yeah. in a class. Yeah. And the whole point of what he is doing and his kind of, I think, take on this is that it's an acceptance of this is here. And I would much rather have people use this in a useful and informative and creative way and versus trying to outlaw it or trying not to use it. And he has written extensively just about how he could see this really upending the education model or even just really changing just things like homework, right? Yeah. And because there has all sorts of implications for the classroom and beyond. Yeah. Yeah, I love that. So on this notion of AI and generative AI, I know that many other companies or many other industries, or in some cases, professional organizations or associations are either talking or thinking about coming up with some kinds of standards or best practices or anything like that. In any of your conversations, particularly with either schools or other admissions professionals, has there, have there been any discussions about that? Right now, it seems like schools are, some schools are trying to do their own thing, but could there ever be a world where, I don't know, GMAC or someone comes out with, hey, here is potentially a, a framework for how we expect to use AI or a bunch of schools could come mm. together and say, hey, maybe we're going to very much like the M7 is like a thing. The M7 could come out and say, here's our potential ways in which we're thinking about this with respect to MBA admissions. Does that come up at all? Or is that not something you've seen just yet? It hasn't. I would think of it as the same as like all of the schools use the same typically use the same plagiarism tool. All of the schools typically use the common letter of recommendation, right? So there's a lot of shared tools and frameworks that schools use. I was at the annual, our annual conference, We the, there was a panel on AI and the schools were really ranged in terms of their familiarity with it and what they were planning to do. To be honest, the schools right now are so focused on the SCOTUS decision, which we think we'll probably get to, which is then this sort of like big, beastly, cool, fun piece that they don't really know what to do with yet. <laughs> sure, sure, for sure. Hey there, it's Al. And thanks so much for listening to the NBA Insider Podcast. I wanted to take a quick break to ask you a small favor. I'm loving doing this show, and I hope you're enjoying it too. If you take a few minutes to leave a review and rate this podcast on Apple or Spotify or wherever you get your podcasts, or simply share it on social media or send it to a friend, I'm incredibly grateful for your support. Thank you, and let's get back to the show. Okay, let's move on from AI. So there was an article that came out over the summer in Poets and Quants from Mark Ethier. Mark, if you're listening, how's it going? And the article is titled, has the window reopened? Acceptance rates, yield, and more at the top 50 U.S. MBA programs. One of the, the kind of the headlines of this was that in uh, the previous year, in 2022, Poets and Quants reported that the window of, op of opportunity to get into a quote-unquote reach business school in the United States had narrowed dramatically. And back then, applications were up, acceptance rates were down, and yield, uh, the percentage of admits who, were, uh, who actually enroll were, rose across the board. And this, the, the kind of takeaway they had last year was that leading MBA programs had fully recovered from the pandemic and were returning to their normal, highly selective rates. And that was an assessment based on 2021 data. And then the article goes on to talk about 2022. And it sounds like things have changed and shifted a little bit. And so I'd be curious to know from you, is it easier to get into business school now? Or is this just perhaps an aberration from the norm? Or is it just anecdotal kind of data? I did volume was low last year. It is not. There's every indication that it has gone up for this year. Okay. Our industry as admissions consultants is, are very busy. 
schools have seen record numbers of attendees in events to the point where they've had to house events. They've had to look for different spaces that are larger. When those kinds of things are happening, it's not that anyone can get into business school. So I would still say that it's really the best agnostic degree to get. And there's always going to be years where I think it's directly related to the economy. When there's a hot job market, you're not going back to school. When the job market plateaus or stalls, you have the opportunity to think about what your other opportunities are and you and you go back to school. We used to, in admission, we, admissions, when I worked in admissions, we when there was a recession, we would, for our own sake, cheer it on because we knew we would get more applications. Okay. Another article I want to go through, New Trends in Testing, GMAT Focus Edition plus New GRE. Mm-hmm. And this mm-hmm. article, again, will be in the show notes, is all about what you need to know about the new GMAT entrance exam and that is premiering this fall. Uh, can you talk a little bit about what you uh, know about this, either or what you're seeing or what you're what you are talking to uh, your clients about uh, uh, the new test and, and what it means. Yes. So we could probably do a whole podcast on this. <laughs> yes. Yes. All right. So the GMAT is created by GMAC, G-M-A-C, right? So GMAC, the GMAT exam was for business school and GMAC was the creator of it. And what they found is that as business school expanded beyond just business and STEM majors into more humanities majors, into more industries, nonprofit space, education space, more people were coming to business school outside of really these technical backgrounds. And they weren't taking the GMAT. They were taking the GRE because the the quant in the GRE is really for everyone across graduate schools, not just business majors. So it's not as intense as the GMAT. That's generally the anecdotal thought of someone taking this test. So GMAC lost share. Top schools were saying that a third of their applicants were taking the GRE. That's a lot of that's a lot of people. So GMAC basically heard this. They came out with a test called the Executive Assessment or the EA, but that was too short. And schools really didn't want to accept that. So now what they have is called the GMAT Focus. Okay. So the GMAT Focus is going to be offered in in addition to the regular GMAT and the EA. So they're now going to have three tests available. The GMAT focus is two hours, whereas the regular GMAT is three hours. They remove the writing section completely, and they have just three sections, a verbal quant and a new section titled data insights, which is like the old IR. Now, ETS, the makers of GRE, then decided to change the GRE. This is like the battle of these test companies are doing pretty well, right? These are big money maker machines. And so, you know, every time you want to send your score to a new school, you're paying $30. Like they're doing okay. So they want their market share. So now ETS, just maker of the GRE, has changed the GRE. And it the new GRE, which comes out in mid-September, will completely replace the old GRE. So you will no longer have the option to do the old GRE. You just have the new GRE, and the major changes is that it's shorter, okay? It's now two hours when it was four hours. So with the G, you can do the GMAT regular, the GMAT focus, the executive assessment, or the GRE, Not all schools take the executive assessment. And oddly enough, some schools are also this year saying they're not taking the GMAT focus because it's too new. Oof. Wow. (laughs) 
Thank you for breaking that down. Uh, that was a mouthful. That's Thank my... you for confusing you. <laughs> so uh, I guess maybe as a starting point, just for the, this conversation, who wins with all of this? Does any, or yeah, let, let's start there. Right. Who, who wins as a result right. of all The beauty is that you have the more than one option. I think probably were, when you went to business school, could you even take the GRE, Al? Uh, no, you could not. Right. So it was the GMAT. Now you've got GMAT, GRE, different version of GMAT, shorter version of GRE. This, some schools do take the executive assessment. Some schools still offer a test waiver if you have a strong GPA or other indicators of, of quantitative aptitude. So it's just, it's, they're still always going to require some metric. They're always going to require something to say that you can keep up in the classroom and you have some quantitative ability. They don't want you to, to they want you to succeed in the program, right? So they're going to request that. But what they've done is really, I think the applicant has won because they've opened up the floor for a lot of different changes and basically listened to applicants saying, we're not taking a four-hour test anymore. And I know that GMAT focus is new, but just even in terms of the clients that you have, have you seen much at one point when you did it, it was everyone took the, the GMAT because that was the only choice. But I'd just be curious, like over the years, have you seen more diversity in terms of the clients coming into you where there is more, a little bit more choice because they do have more choices? And do you expect that to continue now that there's going to be another test available that people could potentially take? Yeah, it's a whole part of the strategy of what I do. And what an applicant needs to think about is what test is right for me, What's my school list? What are they accepting? If I have someone I'm working with who's applying to three schools and they all take the EA, you're taking the EA. It's the right. shortest test. It's 90 minutes. Why wouldn't you take that? Why on earth would you study for the GMAT? We're always trying. The truth is no one likes these tests. The applicant doesn't like them. The school doesn't like them. Uh, coaches don't like them. Even the tutors don't like them, right? But it's about we need to figure out where you're going to appear the most successful and go that route. Okay. And perhaps the last. I guess you could say current event or newsworthy event, which happened over the summer, which I think has some implications for the MBA admission space, is the SCOTUS ruling on uh, diversity within higher education. Could you talk a little bit more just about what you're hearing or if you've had any conversations with MBA programs about these, the ruling and any of the implications, or is it just too soon to really know for sure or anything that you've heard on this topic? Yeah. So schools is very top of mind for them. And it has been over the last six months as the ruling came out this summer, they were anticipating the outcome. And so I wouldn't say that anyone is surprised their legal departments have already been all on it. But across the board, the schools have been open about disagreeing with the verdict, right? And saying that a diverse class is important to them and deans and everyone in leadership has come out and said, we embrace diversity. We really welcome everyone to apply so I've seen on the application side, technically, most schools have taken out the ethnicity sections um, and those that have kept them have made it very clear as a very clear statement that we take in this information for reporting purposes to the government. It will not factor into any admissions decision. And schools have also taken out any open-ended essays about how your background has impacted your life choices. A couple of schools that I know about, it's like questions like, how is your background, ethnicity, race, religion really contributed to your worldview? And that is gone. All of this to say, schools are very still very committed to a diverse class. So if you are an underrepresented group, 
find a way to bring in how your background, your race, your ethnicity could contribute to the class. The essay is an open book. You can write whatever you want in an essay. And I think really the key isn't just this is my ethnicity, but this is my identity. And here's how it will add to my perspective. And here's how it will add to my the classroom experience. And here's how it will add to the community. So really making clear that bridge is there. Uh, but this, yeah, the schools have been, they've been disappointed openly about it in the sense that they're afraid that it may inhibit their ability to bring in a diverse class. But the messaging has been that we're going to continue to, even though we don't collect these numbers anymore, we're going to continue to really embrace diversity and work very closely with our legal team because we are anticipating lawsuits. Okay. This will be one that certainly evolves over time. And we'll uh, know just as many companies are thinking through this, schools are clearly thinking about this as well. And so we'll just have to... And legacy admissions that is coming out of this, which, yeah. Yeah. So there's a lot. There's a lot. It's all on the table. Yeah, this is absolutely a big one. Okay, so we talked through generative AI, talked a little bit about if it's easy to get in an MBA these days. We talked a little bit about testing, and we talked a little bit about the the testing, and then we talked a little bit about the SCOTUS decision. And so I want to move to the last section now. I want to talk here about an age-old question, and I think it's relevant, particularly just given the state of how things are in the broader economic environment. but could you make the case for, or I should ask the question, why is now potentially a good time to get an MBA? Mm. Yes. Why is now a good time? If you are at a point in your career where you need more skills, you want to pivot, you want more opportunities, and it feels like a perfect time to just slip away for a couple of years and come back to be on a different level, this is the time. I don't think it's ever a situation where now is the time is a group global decision. It's always going to be that now is the time for you, for where you are and where you sit in your career. I would say the difference I've seen or what's exciting to me about business school is over the last few years, the offerings, the specializations, the courses, the faculty, the centers, the resources have become so agnostic all schools are investing right now in climate. They're investing in health tech. They're investing in so many different spaces that aren't just these traditional finance consulting companies. So I think it's really, the business school has very much stayed relevant because the expectation from the applicant, from the student, and really from the faculty is you have to be relevant to continue this degree. Lindsay Sage, uh, it's been a pleasure speaking with you as always. And if listeners want to learn more about you or work with you, where can we send them to? Yes. Awesome. I love this session. I love doing this with you, Al. This is so fun. So I have my own boutique firm, Sage Admit. You can always find me there at sageadmit.com or email me at lindsay at sageadmit.com. I always love meeting new people and helping them talk through their goals and offer strategies for their application. So I do offer a free introductory call. So I hope to hear from many of you. Hi, everyone. LD here. And thank you so much for listening to the MBA Insider Podcast. If you liked what you heard, make sure to head over to Apple Podcasts and to write a review. It will only take 15 seconds. I'd also love to hear what you've been listening to on the podcast and any suggestions you have for how we can improve. 
Find me on LinkedIn or head over to mbaschooled.com backslash podcast.